Lakewood, and welcome to part six of our series, Transformed. The uh, passage we're going to be looking at today from Romans 12 is verses 13 through 20. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, Romans chapter 12, verses 13 through 20. If you didn't bring your Bible, grab that one in front of you and turn it to page 948, Romans chapter 12, and just remember you can always follow along if you have a tablet or a phone, you can always uh, follow along on your device in our app and get all the sermon notes and all the scriptures from there. Before we get into it this morning, just kind of feel led to talk about a subject that's on so many people's minds about the uh, Florida uh, school shooting that happened this week. I know that it's been all over uh, Facebook and lots of debates out there, social media and all of that, and I just feel remiss if I didn't you know, speak from the Word of God and, and what, what I think about this. Um, you know, we can pass, it, the first thing that really troubled me was as soon as it was covered, I heard about it actually in my car, I was coming back to the church, and the first thing was everyone looking to Congress to be their Savior. It's like, what is Congress going to do? What is Congress, what, what Congress going to do? It's like, Really? Have we come that far that any problem that happens in our life, we don't turn to Jesus, but we turn to Congress to pass another law, to, you know. And so that, that kind of shocked me a, a little bit, how immediately everybody was talking about Congress and how Congress is going to save us from school shootings. But the thing that was even um, maybe more on my mind was that this isn't a passing a law for gun control issue. This isn't a mental health issue. I mean, you could make some arguments there. This is a spiritual walking away from Jesus issue, the whole country. And this has been going on for a long time. And I heard a talk show host uh, this week uh, talk about why, what was the difference between today and the 1950s and 60s? What was the difference? The difference back then was we were watching Ozzy and Harriet. Now we're watching violence on everything. Television shows, gruesome detailed violence, uh, movies, video games, all over the internet. And so it's one of those things that you are what you eat. You consume those things and this is what we've become. This is how far that it's gone. And uh, without a spiritual uh, renewal, without a spiritual revival, without a turning to Jesus instead of turning to government to solve all of our problems in life, I'll just be honest, I don't know that it's gonna get much better. But I will tell you this and give you this word of encouragement is when people see the transformed life of a Christian and the difference that Jesus can make in their life, there's a lot of people that will turn that direction. We've seen it here in our church. We've seen it in our community um, and really seen it around the world. God is alive and well. Jesus is alive and well. Uh, he still sits on the throne and can still save people today. And, uh, you know, I just, I hate that so many times we try to make issues that are spiritual about other things. And, and I really feel like this is just a side effect and just a symptom of a greater problem with our country, that as we have demoralized ourselves and walked away from the, the, uh, the ways of God, that this is where it's gotten us. And so, uh, you know, don't, it's one of those things that you don't want to be numb to it, the same thing as I'm, I'm not shocked by it because it seems like we get more and more away from God's morals and values every day. So um, hope that we can just pray and, and really pr obviously pray for healing for uh, the people and the families involved there and pray that through what happened there, there can be a turning toward Christ by everyone involved, by the victims, by the shooter, by all the families in the community. Um, and th and that, that is what's gonna make uh, school shootings go down. I, I was reading a statistic, 188 
school shootings since Columbine. Remember Columbine? First, first one. And how many can you name of those 188? About four. You remember Sandy Hook and you remember this one in Florida. It's because they don't even make national media anymore. They have to be a mass killing. They have to kill more than three people to make the national news. So again, state of, state of affairs and another reminder why we need Jesus and why we as Christians need to live out the transformed lives that it calls us to in the word. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. And just to recap this series just a little bit, the first week we talked about a willing surrender to God, that as a Christian, you make a daily decision to surrender your life and heart to Jesus Christ. The second week we talked about renewing our minds and getting our minds and our wills to line up with God's will. The third week we talked about humble service. And then the fourth week we talked about genuine love. Last week we talked about a diligent faith. And today we're gonna to be talking about living in community living in community. You see, you and I, we live in a place that we would call a community. It has geographic boundaries and a common name. But I promise you that we are not all in community with one another. You see, the citizens of this community argue about how tax money should be spent, in what order these streets should be repaired, where the next school should be built, and how we should mark that bridge downtown that everybody keeps hitting with their trucks. We have a lot of differing opinions on that. <laughs> and we are a community, but that doesn't mean that we are in community with one another. As I was looking at this word this week, uh, something that just came into my mind um, was just, just how that word is spelled. It has unity on, on the end of it. And, and how I was thinking of community, like a common unity. That is the way it's supposed to be in Christians' lives. That's the way it's supposed to be in the body of Christ, that we would have common unity, community. Because missional community, a unified mission is uncommon in our world. You occasionally might see it in a business or an organization, but other than that, it is uncommon in our world. So when we talked about community in the church and in the family of God, we're talking about a common unity that brings us together through Jesus Christ. As we continue today, and we look at Romans 12, we see instructions for community life, beginning with verse 13. So uh, please follow along as I read this morning. Romans chapter 12, verse 13, it says, contribute to the needs of the saints. That'd be all the saved people, all the Christians. So that'd be you and me. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless them and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Let's go back to the beginning in verse 13, it says we're supposed to contribute to the needs of others, to show hospitality. We're supposed to bless people 
and do not curse them. Even when they persecute you. I've even had to deal with that in my own life this week. How do we bless somebody when they're persecuting us? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Some versions say to mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't repay evil for evil. Do what is honorable. See, all of these things are leading into this idea of biblical community. And what the Apostle Paul is doing here is he's kind of listing off for us all of these things we need to do to live this transformed life. Because a transformed life is marked by living in community with fellow believers. A transformed life is marked by living in community with fellow believers. And the longer I lead as a pastor, the more I realize how significant community is to the discipleship process. That if we're really going to be disciples of Jesus Christ, if we're really going to call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, if we're going to really live out the Bible, this is done in the context of community. And Jesus left no room for misinterpretation because this is our greatest commission from him is to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Matthew 28, 19, and 20 says it this way. Therefore, this is Jesus speaking. Therefore, go and make disciples. That's the commandment there. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always on this mission to the very end of the age. You see, the command of the Great Commission is to make disciples, fully devoted, lifelong followers of Jesus Christ. And if any church wants to measure success, it must look at whether disciples are being made. You see, collectively as churches, we've done a great job creating programs. We create studies. We create events. We even create processes for just about every angle of the Christian life that you want. If you want to study scripture or increase your knowledge of God, we've got you covered. Every age group and demographic are represented by their own programming. And I'm thankful for these gospel-centered pursuits of the church today. I believe they are good and I believe they are biblical. But the more that we dig into the scriptures and more that we dig into the life of Jesus, the more we see there's this necessary connection between two things, what we learn and how we live. What we learn and how we live. Jesus' life painted a beautiful picture. When we learn in the New Testament what it means to be a true disciple and proclaim the gospel, we need to do it in both word and in deed. You see, our struggle is and has always been our ability to move from knowledge to application. There have been many studies done by churches themselves and even some parachurch organizations have done some studies on how do people best grow in Jesus Christ. There's a church up in the Chicago area called Willow Creek and they did a study over many years um, and then they named the study Reveal. And they were finding out that many of their church members were stalled in their spiritual growth. A smaller percentage of those were found to be declining in their spiritual walk. The two common findings to fix the stall or the decline were pretty simple and basic. The first one was daily study of the word of God and prayer. You've probably heard that before, right? You say, well, man, I really wanna grow in my relationship with God, how am I gonna do that? And you'll hear, you need to pray and read the Bible. Pray and read the Bible. That's what you need to do. Pray and read the Bible. Why? Because it works. How else are you going to know God, really, to know him intimately than to know his word? 
and to study his word, to make this a priority in life, to make a priority to talk to him and to have a relationship with him through prayer. So the first part of, of, of fixing the decline or the stall in growth was daily study of the word and prayer. The second one was sharing the spiritual walk with the community of believers. Sharing their spiritual walk with a community of believers. Now see here at Oakwood, we have this thing that we do. If you become a member here, you hear about this. We call it the three C's of Oakwood. We ask that all church members here do three things every week. Celebrate, connect, contribute. The three C's, celebrate, connect, contribute. We celebrate and worship together as we are doing this morning. Where we proclaim the word of God. We worship together. We take holy communion. We break bread together just as we see modeled in the scriptures, just as we see the early Christians do. We celebrate and worship. We connect with one another in fellowship. We connect in fellowship. Small groups, Sunday school classes, we get together and we learn the word together and we grow together. And the third C is contribute, that we use our gifts, our talents, our abilities, our resources, and we use them for the Lord. We contribute to the ministry of the church. And so we celebrate, we connect in fellowship, and we contribute. And in our passage today, it's all about this life lived together. Because you can't do any of the things that it talks about in the scripture today unless you have a relationship with other people. We see this need to remain close to brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ for a mutual benefit. God's community is called to be different than any other community in the world. It's to be a place and a people who truly love and live the word of God as it's, instruction, as it's instructed. But for this type of closeness to be attained, community and relationships must be valued now as much as they are in the scriptures. And God's intention with his church was not to get people to attend it, but to get people to attach to it. We've got to understand that the Christian community is much more than a pat on the back or a handshake out in the lobby. Christian community and Christian fellowship means sharing burdens and blessings of, with each other and praying and promoting and helping and encouraging and even sometimes admonishing each other for the glory of God. And knowing this, I want to share just a couple of summary thoughts with you about our passage this morning. The first one is this. Christians are called to love, serve, and grow in community with one another. That's not rocket science. That's probably not something that, well, I've never heard that before. But they are called to do it in community with one another. And in our passage, it gives us some specifics on how to do that, especially in verses 13 through 17. It says that the language of the passage points to these spiritual practices being lived out in community. It talks about sharing and generosity. It talks about hospitality and how we treat one another. It talks about blessing and encouraging someone. It talks about rejoicing when they rejoice and weeping when there is sorrow. It talks about being humble and staying in, in, a, in a state of humility. It talks about peace. It even talks about hunger and thirst, getting those needs met with God's love. The faith we live is not intended to be lived out alone. You never read the Bible and see the terms private Christian or I have a private faith. If anyone tells you that that makes them uncomfortable to share in community, to be a part of other Christians, newsflash, it makes us all uncomfortable at some point. I understand that some people have hurts and hangups and they have things that will hinder them from their past. It hinders that desire to want to be connected to other people. It hinders that desire to want biblical community. But that's really more about safety, protection, and woundedness than it is about a desire to grow in Christ Jesus. And though people today 
show an inherent desire to be in community, they will often substitute proximity for relationships. But in order to weep with someone, as it says in verse 15, you have to be more than physically in proximity to them. You have to know them. You have to actually have a relationship with them and talk to them. We must pursue transformation in order to take on the heart of Christ, who, think about it, even wept at the tomb of a friend. We need to do less alone and more with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And you may say, why? Why? It's because this is a part of the process of discipleship in our lives. To let God use people to encourage us in our walk, to encourage us in our faith. We also ourselves need to encourage other people in their faith. Look what it says in Proverbs 27, 17. It says, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. That's the type of relationship we are called to have. That is iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And if I were to stop right now and take a poll of the audience today, I bet I would get a resounding yes, and that you agree with God's word. You would say, yes, I agree with the scriptures. I agree with everything it says in the Bible about God's community, about the church. I believe in all of that, yes. Yes, I agree. Some of you already know that Connecting with community is probably your next step to following Jesus. You would say, yes, yes, I want to grow in Christ. Yes, I understand I need to do life together with some other people. Yes, I've read all of the other passages in the New Testament. I've read all of the biblical one another's, and I have seen the example of Jesus Christ himself sharing his life with 12 friends. You agree in theory, so why not in practice? If we know what we should do, then why don't we do it? Again, I'll go back to what I said earlier. Our struggle is and has always been our ability to move from knowledge, knowing what to do, to application, actually walking it out. And I challenge you today to make a decision that today, if you are not connected with some brothers and sisters in Christ in biblical community, that that would be a priority in your life from this point forward, that you will share your spiritual journey with some friends. What does that look like for you? Maybe it's to join a connect group finally. Finally, get in a small group. For some of you, join a Sunday school class. Get on a a ministry team. Maybe maybe God's calling you to something more. Maybe he's calling you to host, host a group in your home or to sponsor a new group here on campus. Maybe he's calling you to start a Bible study. Not that maybe he's calling you to teach it, but he's calling you to organize it. Do something different to get out of what did they call the spiritual stall, the spiritual decline in your life. You may say, why? It's because a life that is transformed in Christ is marked by living in community with fellow believers. There's just no way getting around it. And so we've got to do this. We've got to know that we are called as followers of Jesus to love, serve, and grow in community with one another. The second thing and I want to get from our passage today for us to understand is that Christians have a specific calling when it comes to how we treat enemies. That as believers, we have a specific calling in Scripture when it comes to how we're going to treat our enemies. Let's go back to the, to the passage and look at verse 17. It says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. 
And if possible, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on their head. What's interesting about those verses there is we really don't know if the enemies they're talking about here is inside the fellowship, inside the faith community, or if it's outside the fellowship, outside of the faith community. And I did some extensive study on this, and I can find you scholars and name people that are on both sides of this issue. Is Paul talking about enemies within the family, enemies within the church? Or is he talking about, oh, no, those are the enemies out there in the world? Well, the thing is, it kind of doesn't matter because there's no qualifier here in the Scripture. Oh, treat the enemies in the church this way or treat the enemies in the world this way. It just says, treat your enemies this way. And whether your enemy is a Christian or a complete pagan, you treat them according to what the Word of God says. And what's interesting is, I, and I've loved this verse my whole life as a Christian, it's verse 21, right? Y'all can get a little excited because if you're really nice to your enemies and you feed them, and if they're thirsty, give them something to drink, you're going to heap burning coals on their head. And all the Christians are like, yeah, amen, all right, you're gonna heap some burning coal, that's what I want to do. But what it's really talking about there is talking about making them feel a burning sense of guilt or shame. It's not talking about hurting them or making them bald because the, you know, it's not burning their hair off. It's, that's not what it's talking about. It's making them feel this burning sense of shame and of guilt for how, for how they're treating someone. Now, when you put it in the context of that, it kind of makes you think, wow, he's talking about people in the church. He's talking about people who, are gonna, who should know better. But the principle here is the same. And there's an even broader principle here about good versus evil. Uh, doing the right things versus doing the wrong things and what's going to win out, what's going to prevail here. Instead of allowing evil to get the upper hand and bring defeat, it is saying here, win the victory against that which is wrong by doing what is right. I'm going to read that again. Instead of allowing evil to get the upper hand and bring defeat, win the victory against that which is wrong by doing what is right. You see, the best way to get rid of an enemy is to turn them into a friend. You see, our most powerful weapon against evil is to do what's right in the face of it. To respond to evil with evil is not to overcome it, but to just add and build it up. Believers are called upon to live victoriously in this hostile world by continuing to live lives as Jesus commanded and as Jesus modeled for us. Right will inevitably prevail against wrong in this world. God is on the throne. And though all is not right in this world, obviously, we've seen that this week. He is the one who will avenge the wicked, and he is the one that rewards the righteous. So as we close this morning, I want to share three applications that you can take away from the message today. The first one is this. These are, I call these the ABCs of living in God's community. The ABCs of living in God's community. First one is this is when we have God's community, and we're a part of that, we have accountability. That's the A, accountability. Hebrews chapter three, verses 12 through 13 
puts it this way. Pay, pay attention to this. It says, take care, brothers, lest there be any of you. I'm sorry, let's start that over there. <laughs> take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But do what? It says to exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you would be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You see where the accountability comes into place. You have to have a relationship with that person. Accountability to our life and our calling is the best practice in a community where you have loving relationships with one another. Can you, can you see getting exhorted by someone you don't have a relationship with? It comes much harder that way. It's best received in the context of people who are connected to one another and are moving the same direction. And that's why it says here in Hebrews that, that we shouldn't have an evil, unbelieving heart that's leading us away. But if we see some of those characteristics and qualities in a person that's in the body of Christ as a part of our church family, that we should exhort one another today so that we are not led away by sin's deceitfulness. We're called to hold each other accountable. It's one of the hardest things that we do in Christian community. But I think it's also one of the most necessary. It's one of the most necessary. When you see a brother or sister in the Lord going down a path, and you know, you just feel from your spirit and all that is within you that that is wrong. And you know the word of God well enough to, to be able to back it up with the scriptures we have to go to one another and hold each other accountable. And it's not catching each other and pointing out, you know, your faults. And It's trying to help each other. The heart behind accountability is that we wouldn't see one another stray, leading you away. What does it say there in Hebrews 3? It says, leading you to fall away from the living God. I guess if it says that in Scripture, you could fall away from the living God. We need to hold each other accountable. The second thing, uh, the B of the ABCs of community is belonging, is we need to have, have this sense of belonging. What did it say earlier in Romans 12? Do you remember this? This was from like week three. It says that we are all members of one another, that we should have a family fill to this Christian walk, that we should feel like family and function like family and, and be brothers and sisters. I mean, why does the scripture call us brothers and sisters? It's because it is really truly to be like a family to one another. We are all members of one another. And in this sense of family is a place of safety, it's a place of encouragement, and it's a place of deep trust. It's a place where spiritual momentum is on the increase as we pursue Christ-likeness together. It is a place that is safe, and when you are accepted exactly where you are, you're also encouraged not to stay there, but to progress in your faith in Jesus Christ. So we have accountability, we have belonging, and the C, the third one is care. The third one is care. You see, we are all susceptible to sin. And so we need caring people to help us abandon the past sinful patterns and walk in obedience to God in the future. We care about each other, and so we help and assist each other walk through life. The care we receive may be in the form of a visit of need. It may be a prayer prayed for someone who is hurting. It may be a meal brought to someone when they are having a hard time. It may be pitching in and helping with, with family, with, with, with someone's kids. Or maybe it's serving one another by doing some 
yard work or some housework for someone. But the community of believers cares for one another. We care for our lives. It's a great part of being a part of the family of God. And whether you are on the receiving end or the giving end, know that when you live this way with care, you are fulfilling the call of Christ. You're glorifying God in that. In John 10, 10, the scripture says that the devil is one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus follows that up with the fact that he says, but I've come that you may have life, that you may have it more abundantly, that you may have this great life. But knowing that the devil is a thief and a liar and a deceiver and a destroyer, his plan is to destroy your life. And many times how he does that in the Christian community is he tries to get brothers and sisters in Christ to drift toward isolation, to a private faith. My faith is a private matter. But in the scriptures, we see the believers are always pressing into deeper relationships, not pulling away from them. And so I ask you this morning some questions. Are you in community today? Biblically defined community. Are you in community with some other Christians today? Are you in the family of God? And are you pursuing God's direction in your life with some other people, with some friends? Are you ready to take a huge step forward and devote yourself to community? Not that it be something that's just on the side, but it be something that you're actively pursuing and actively involved in. Because it may lead to a greater underlying question that we have to answer. Are you fully devoted to Christ? Is he your Lord and your Savior? Do you love him and want to give your life to serve him and him only forever? You see, we are called by God as brothers and sisters in Christ to live in community. But if we don't have that relationship with God solid and first and moving the right direction, there's no way we can live out anything that we read in Romans 12. And not just 13 through 20 like we read today. I'm talking about the entire chapter cannot be lived out because it's all about your relationship with Jesus Christ. So maybe that's the deeper question this morning. It's not are you living in community with the church? Are you living in community with the Savior? And out of that, we find our obedience to follow him.